Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Today, we are continuing this teaching series, The Rest of the Story. And I want to ask you if you will help me with the introduction to the sermon. I'm going to ask everybody, if you will, stand up for just a second. I, I know you were kind of thinking, man, we get to kind of chill out. This is active listening today, okay? You're actively participating. I want you to turn and find somebody that you did not come to church with and tell them like you mean it, happy holidays. Go. Now you may be seated. Thank you so much. Didn't that feel good just to say that out loud? Now, I know some of you are thinking, whoa, 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 Mac, are you going secular on us? What about Merry Christmas? I promise you we're not going secular. As a matter of fact, track with me as we talk about happy holidays. You know, my in-laws, Joe and Kathy, Julie's parents, initiated a family tradition years and years and years ago now when all of the grandchildren and the cousins were very, very young my father-in-law, Joe, who is to the grandchildren, Grandy, Grandy would read Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, before a single present or gift is opened. And when he finished reading the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, that particular year, one of the grandchildren, it, this happened in birth order, year by year, so you knew which child was going to get to do this, would take a pre-assigned gift box, open the gift box, and take out of the gift box the figurine of the baby Jesus that that grandchild would then go lay in the manger in the nativity scene in my in-law's living room. And once the baby Jesus was placed in the manger, then we would all sing a Christmas carol together, typically away in a manger, and then maybe joy to the world. But it has become this tradition that we all look forward to, even though all of the grandchildren are grown and either out of the house or in college. It's, it's kind of the official recognition of what Christmas is really all about. It's an amazing tradition. But there was one year. There was one year that we will never, ever forget. As Grandy was in the middle of Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, my mother-in-law, Kathy, who is Shuggy to the grandkids, stepped back and under her breath said to Julie and her sisters, oh my gosh, I don't know where the baby Jesus is. <laughs> she then very quickly and quietly excused herself from the living room and went back to where she had been wrapping all of the presents and the gifts and everything. And we were all kind of standing there watching the adults who were kind of on the outer circle and kind of going, okay, well, you know, he's spurring the horse to the barn. You know, the baby Jesus is born. We're going to be finished with the Christmas story pretty soon. And sure enough, Grandy finished the passage from Luke chapter 2, and he looked up from reading the Bible, and he said, where's Shuggy? Where's, where's the baby Jesus? And we all kind of stood there for an awkward moment of silence when all of a sudden Shuggy came back into the room holding up a box and triumphantly announced, I found Jesus. 
Now I have to tell you, my mother-in-law has been a Christ follower for the vast majority of her life. But that year is forever seared in our minds and our memories as the year Shuggy found Jesus. <laughs> you know, to find Jesus is the perfect perspective. I think it's the perfect prayer and priority and even actually the very purpose of holidays themselves. You know, you and I throw around the word holidays. We're coming up on the holidays. It's the holiday season. Happy holidays. But I think it's important for us as we launch this holiday season this weekend, it's important for us to remember just exactly what holidays really means. The word holidays, if you go all the way back to the etymology of the word, the word holidays means holy days, days that are set apart for sacred purpose, holy days. And so when we think about the holidays, I think it's important for us to remember, particularly in the world that you and I live in, this thing called holidays can for a lot of us be a mixed bag of some very real mixed emotions. I mean, it, it can get a little bit hairy for some of us in some very, very profound and maybe even painful ways, but even for the rest of us, it can just, just feel like it's this freaked out frenetic frenzy where we're just kind of moving and shaking and going and doing and hustling and bustling. And a lot of times, isn't it true that the holidays feel anything but holy? I, I want to suggest to you that, that you and I have the opportunity to inject holy back into the holidays, to actually make the holiday season everything that it can be. Did you know that way, way, way back in the Old Testament, even in the law of Moses, what, what the, the Jewish people refer to as the Torah, that God commanded Israel, think about this, God commanded Israel to celebrate seven different festivals throughout the year, seven different feasts and festivals where they were to remember the Lord their God and his faithfulness and his goodness to them throughout that year, but also throughout their history and their, their entire development as his chosen people to, to remember. It's almost like God knew that we would have a propensity to forget. And so he said, remember, take Take time, make the time to celebrate. Everything that we talked about last week on Sabbath and how God commands us, he calls us to take one day a week to rest and replenish and worship. It's like that, that gift of Sabbath for, for seven different times in the Israelite calendar was to be blown up on steroids and to, to celebrate and to, to feast to the goodness of God. God. It's an amazing, amazing thing. I want to suggest to you that if we will do this, if we will, in fact, choose the path towards peace and purpose in the holy days, then we will take a massive step towards actually experiencing that soul rest, that refueling and replenishing 
that Jesus Christ invites us into, that, that, that settled soul, that calmed spirit. Norman Rockwell is an iconic uh, American artist. Many of you have, have seen his art for years. Many of you may have seen it and didn't know who it was, but Rockwell had an amazing gift of capturing just kind of everyday scenes that communicated volumes of the American experienced. Many of his paintings and, and works of art were, were very idealized and idyllic views of life in America, but he also had an amazing Christian conscience, and, and he captured multiple social injustices that our country continues to wrestle with. He had an amazing eye for the American condition. His most famous work of art is one that was released in the Saturday Evening Post in 1943. It is entitled Freedom from Want. Freedom from Want. Most of you have seen this, this painting, this portrait. It's somewhere along the way. And, and it's an amazing, amazing, almost invitation. Like there, there's something in this that's like, oh. some of you are thinking about Thanksgiving coming up this week and going, wouldn't that be nice? If only my family behaved like that around the Thanksgiving table. But I want you to look at this work of art. It's incredible. It's interesting. Every single face that you see in this painting was an actual person from Rockwell's life that he photographed so that he could put them in this painting. And it is this kind of idealized picture of a holiday meal. We don't know if it's Thanksgiving or if it's Christmas. It's also known by some people as I'll Be Home for Christmas because it was released during World War II. But, but it's, it's essentially a picture of the holidays. It's a family gathered around a table having an incredible, incredible meal. That, that turkey is done beautifully and perfectly. There's not a dry piece of meat in the whole thing. They've got the sides. There's a covered dish. We don't even know what that is. Cranberries. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's hair is combed and in place. But there's also something I want to point out to you in this painting. Yes, it is it's kind of idealized and kind of quaint, but I want you to notice there's also an elegant simplicity to the meal that they're enjoying. There's this beautiful turkey, of course, and the sides that are there on the table, but I want you to notice that every single place setting, the whole family is drinking water. Isn't that interesting? You know that for an artist of Rockwell's skill and ability and insight, that was a conscious decision to have them drinking water at this feast of plenty. You know what I think is fascinating about this picture? I love this. I know I should never turn my back on the audience. Not because I don't trust you, but just because it's rude. But I think it's fascinating that this picture, probably this exact picture, or, or maybe a variation on the themes that it portrays, this is the very picture that will drive so many of us so, so crazy during the holidays. We are working so hard and striving so hard to achieve this ideal picture of Thanksgiving. And I think we need to remember that a painting, like a novel, is fiction. It is a work of fiction. It's an imagined, it's a visionary picture. And the fact of the matter is that if you think about all of the things that go into our holidays, it makes 
sense that we get a little bit nuts. We, we get a little bit crazy. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him with a smile on your face, you're a little bit crazy. <laughs> now, I want you to say to the same neighbor, and I am too. <laughs> Julie and I have been married for 30 wonderful, glorious years. We have been playing a game since we got married called My Family's Crazier Than Yours. <laughs> and after 30 years, we are in a dead heat tie. Now, there are some seasons where my family will sprint out to the lead. Other seasons, her family will catch up. We all have a little bit of crazy in us. We, we all have a little bit of brokenness. Think about the things that go into our holidays. Travel. Man, these days, you book a flight, it may happen, it may not. And if it doesn't, they may not even tell you. That, that will drive you absolutely insane. That'll make you want to go buy a horse. I think about the, the spending that we do. We, we, we spend and we spend it striving for this picture of perfection that doesn't exist. I think about binge everything, eating, drinking, watching, sleeping. No wonder we get, we get out of sorts. The statistics around the holidays are really kind of staggering when you think about it. This is just, just a little snapshot. 67% of us are placing unnecessary pressure on ourselves to produce the perfect holiday. 67%. 47% of us, almost half of us, admit that we usually take on more than we can handle each year. The other 53% are chronic liars. 77% of us say that we have a hard time relaxing during the holidays and usually end up feeling more stressed and worn down than ever. 59% would characterize their typical holiday season as chaotic. This one, this one blew my mind. 40% of us would rather stand in line at the DMV than deal with holiday stress. <laughs> this one, 20%, one out of five of us would rather sit on a long plane ride beside a crying child than go through the holidays. And 49% say that all stress in the holidays makes it difficult to enjoy the holidays. I, I don't think that's what God has in mind for us. I don't think when he commanded Israel to observe those seven festivals and feasts throughout the year that he was trying to lay on them more stress, more anxiety, more worry, more uncertainty. There is, in fact, a path forward, a path towards peace and purpose, a, a choice and a series of choices that if we will make them, not just acknowledge them, because listen, when, when we talk about it in here, in, in the friendly confines of a worship service, it's easy to, to nod knowingly and to, to amen the preacher. You, you go, you just preach that word, Matt. You, yes. But it's a whole nother thing to live it when we walk out these doors. Nehemiah is a character in the Bible. The entire book of Nehemiah 
gives us the historical account of his journey from Persian slavery and captivity to becoming an instrument of God, literally, for the structural and spiritual rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem that had been sacked by the Babylonians 150 years earlier. In about 445 BC, Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And he receives word from a small remnant in Jerusalem of the destruction of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And and he's burdened by this. He, he remembers his identity as one of the chosen people of God, and he, he remembers Jerusalem as the epicenter of their, of their spiritual and their cultural identity. And so he asks for and receives a royal commission to travel back to Jerusalem for the purposes of rebuilding the city walls. And there in Jerusalem, he accomplishes this task with this small remnant of Israelites who are there. In 52 days, they rebuild the walls. It's an amazing story of, of God's faithfulness, of leadership. It's an incredible, incredible book. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, the walls have been rebuilt and restored, and, and it calls for a celebration. But in this celebration, in this moment, there's this incredible template for you and me to follow, for you and me in 2021 to actually find Jesus in the holidays, to, to apply what happened there in Jerusalem to where you and I live here in Austin, wherever we may be traveling for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holy days, to actually enjoy them, to, to actually experience happy holidays. It's been said before that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Well, happy holidays is in the heart of the beholder. Happy holidays is a choice. It's a series of choices that we make. And I want to I read to you just a short passage from Nehemiah chapter 8 that I think shows us how to make this a reality, how to live it out. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start with verse 8 and read through the end of verse 10. This is what the Bible says. Now they read from the book of the law of God, that's the laws of Moses, the Torah, and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. So to begin this celebration, Nehemiah, along with Ezra, the priest and scribe, and then also the Levites, those who were the priests of Israel, they're reading the law of God. They're reminding Israel of their identity and the covenant that, that binds them in relationship to the God who chose them. And as they're reading this, an amazing thing starts to happen. Look at verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe and the Levites, who were interpreting for the people, said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate. Celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's an incredible, incredible scene. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. For, to us, I think a lot of times, we, we, love, we love us some New Testament. 
We don't we, we we like the New Testament. That's Jesus, that's grace, that's resurrection, that's forgiveness. And, and we acknowledge the Old Testament, but man, that's that's the law and the commands, a lot of dying, a lot of war. But let's go back to the New Testament. But but I want you to notice, remember we said this last week about the commandment to Sabbath. Even the commands of God are an expression of his grace. The commands of God, the law of God was given to point us to our need for the New Testament, the new covenant, Jesus and grace. So the the law actually does us a favor. You know, how many of you have ever walked by your scale in the bathroom and said, I just don't want to get on that today? Anybody ever had that happen to you? Now, if I don't get on the scale, I'm pretty sure I still weigh the same thing. It's just not put in my face, right? I'm pretty sure that if I don't get on the scale, I still don't have 4% body fat. But if I do get on the scale, if it tells me that my body fat is, let's say, 5.5%, or thereabouts, then I know what I need to do about it. The law is the scale. The law of Moses tells us our condition before a holy God. And so when they began to reread and remember and relearn the law of Moses, they were reminded, they were reminded of their unfaithfulness. They were also reminded of God's faithfulness. And they began to mourn. They began to grieve. We've been in captivity because of our choices. And Nehemiah said, not today. No, 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 not today. Today, we celebrate. Today, we enjoy the blessings and the salvation of God. Today, we worship God. Today, we find Jesus in this holy day. We we find him. Now, I understand Nehemiah was Old Testament. Jesus hadn't been born yet. But remember, every bit of the Old Testament points us toward the New Testament and Jesus. And so as Israel is reminded of their law, they're also reminded of the hope that they have for the Messiah, the hope that they have for the promised king of Israel. And Nehemiah and Ezra say, today we're going to celebrate. So there are three things I want to point out to you, and I want to I want to lovingly challenge you to do these things every day between now and New Year's Day. I I, I challenge you to do them because if we will, then we will walk that way forward. We will walk that path of peace and purpose in and through these holy days. Number one, number one, consecrate the holy day, the holidays. Consecrate the holidays. I know, consecrate is a big $10 church word. And I almost said dedicate. But I like the word consecrate because to consecrate means to declare or to make something sacred and holy. And when, when we choose to consecrate the holy days, the holidays, then we are making a decision that we will look for. We will find Jesus in the holidays. We will make this actually holy 
days. This is something that will actually happen. Remember, happy holidays is in the heart of the beholder. Whether or not a day is holy depends on how you look at it and how you treat it. So what that means is everything that is on our to-do list, our action items, our agendas between now and the end of the year, those things get run through the filter of consecration. Those things get run through the filter of, is this something that is set apart for sacred purposes? And if it's not, can I maybe turn it into one? Maybe, maybe, you've, got, maybe you've got an office Christmas party that let's just say hypothetically is not designed to glorify God. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, can you attend that office party and glorify God? Can you attend that office party and be a light in a dark world? If you can, you have just consecrated that holy day. You, you have made that sacred for the purposes of God. If you can't, be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and maybe spend some time with the family that evening. But to consecrate the holidays means that I will choose, I will decide to make this day holy, set apart. You, if you've got time off this coming week for Thanksgiving, man, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. Consecrate every day. Consecrate the holidays. Set them apart as sacred in your mind and in your heart. It's amazing if we will just start there. How many of the stressors, triggers, we will avoid because now all of a sudden we're looking at this time as something different. It's not just a time to binge, eat, and drink. It's not just a time to binge, watch, and sleep. It's, it's holy time. It's sacred time. So consecrate the holidays. Number two, it's right there in Nehemiah's words. Celebrate the goodness of God. Celebrate the goodness of God. In our family, my mom, for years and years and years and years and years and years, before I was even married, before we had kids, my mom has made this dessert. It's a French silk pie. And I know you may think, oh, I've had French silk. That's a good pie. You haven't had this. This pie will flat out set you free. And it's become kind of the, the signature event of our Christmas meal. We, we do turkey a lot of different ways, but... I'm just going to tell you, if there's no French silk pie, there would be an open rebellion on Thanksgiving Day in our household. Now, this pie is so rich. It, it is so decadent. You can only eat four pieces at a time. <laughs> but I think mom's French silk pie is a great example of celebrating the abundance and the goodness, the infinite, immeasurable goodness of God. You should never, ever feel guilty about celebrating the goodness of God. If, if you have 
the capacity, if you have the ability to celebrate, to, to gather and to have a, an incredible meal, a feast, just, just do yourself a little word study sometime. Go Google how many times the word feast is used in the Bible. As a matter of fact, that's the end game. If you read the end of the story, if you read Revelation, followers of Christ are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's, that's the goal. My mom's French silk pie is cool, but it's just a little foreshadowing of what's coming. And I'm convinced that my mom's sprint silk pie will be in heaven. <laughs> but celebrate the goodness of God. What did he say? Go and celebrate a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. But remember, remember when we say celebrate, we've, we've started by consecrating. We, we started by making it sacred. So if it's sacred, then that's going to keep us from overindulging. That's going to keep us from abusing food or, or alcohol or any substance because it's, it's already set apart as holy and sacred. But man, given that, celebrate the goodness of God. Celebrate him. But, but there's one more thing that Nehemiah says here. He also says that we are to demonstrate the goodness of God. Yes, you go and celebrate with a feast and Share with those who haven't prepared anything to celebrate with. Share the goodness of God. Demonstrate it to other people, maybe who, who don't have the ability or the capacity to celebrate at the same level or at any level. Our celebration of God and his goodness can never eclipse the demonstration of God's goodness. So, so make a choice. Decide right now that maybe as a family, you will demonstrate the goodness of God to, to someone who is underserved in your sphere of influence, maybe in our community, in our world. But it, it's not just those who are poor. It's also the poor in spirit. I want to I bring back up that Norman Rockwell painting for just a second, if y'all will. If you'll bring back up. Some of us are going to sit around Thanksgiving tables this week with people who do not have expressions on their faces like those. Some of us are going to spend time with some people who are truly poor in spirit. What if, what if we decided before we ever showed up that part of how we were going to set apart these days as holy to consecrate them would be that we would demonstrate the goodness of God even to those who don't deserve it. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I know I don't deserve it. I don't. I don't deserve the goodness of God. I don't deserve the amazing grace of God. You, you're a wonderful person who matters to God, but you don't deserve it. You haven't earned the grace of God. 
and yet he demonstrated it. He demonstrated it by giving us the infinite, limitless gift of his son, Jesus. I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, be like Shuggy. Find Jesus. Find Jesus in these holy days. Maybe you walked in the door this morning and you were just kind of coming to come to church, but you've never really and truly experienced the grace of God. In just a moment, as a family of faith, we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to, to find Jesus in this day. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. But it's a sacred moment because in this moment, we give our attention, we turn our minds and our hearts to Jesus. If you have never personally and definitively accepted the amazing grace of God, we want to invite you to do that right now. To, to pray right where you're sitting, in your own words, just something like this. Just say, Jesus, I know that I need you. And so I confess my sin to you, all of it, holding nothing back. In order to receive your grace and your forgiveness and your truth, I choose to believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead for me, and I accept. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. For just a moment, if you would, remain with your heads bowed. If that was your prayer, then as a church, we want to help with what's next. A couple of things, if you would. Let us know that God did that in your life. If you're watching online, there's a place there that's called The Hub. You can just go there and let us know there. If you're here in the room, as you leave today, there's a, an actual physical place called The Hub on our campus. If you would just make the time briefly to stop by and just let somebody know there, today was my day, I prayed that prayer. All that does is begin a conversation conversation that proceeds at whatever pace works for you as you begin this journey in a relationship with God. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to do this. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head as a statement, just a, a physical 
statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And I want you to know that as a church, as a family alongside with you, there's nothing more important to us than that in your life. And we kind of have a, a family tradition around here. If you'll go ahead and put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.